This is the Action Network Podcast. Yes, it is. It's good. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the College Football Betting Preview Part 1. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. It's good to be back. What's going on, Colin? We are officially back. I can't even begin to discuss what college football life is going to be like having fans back, having students back, having bands back, having real actionable items without interference. And for you and I to be back after, you know, starting off as Degen and Juice years ago for all of you that have been listening and now having our college football podcast continue on to the 2021 season, it's just a gift. I, this is, like I've said this every year and I'll say it again, this is my most favorite thing to do in the entire world. And I'm looking forward to bringing 100% to every single thing we do. I'm so excited. Yeah, I think we started down the path of Gin and Juice 2017. So this is our fifth year. And hopefully we can pick up where we left off last year. It was a good bowl season. We'll get to, look, there might be virus concerns. We'll talk about some of that. It's not necessarily gone. We do have, let me just give everyone kind of a quick lay of the land for this summer and what the podcast is going to look like. We're going to have previews for, you know, the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12. I kind of contemplated doing a Sunbelt replacing the Pac-12. Uh, but no, but uh, we, we joke that there's the uh, power four, but Pac-12, I think the Pac-12 is a really fascinating conference this year. We'll get to that. We'll have separate episodes. We'll, we'll have guests for most, if not all of them. We'll have a group of five podcast as well. We'll go over all of our favorite win totals, go through almost every team. And then, you know, before we know it, week zero will be here and we'll have week zero preview. We'll sum up all of our preseason bets. And then, you know, the regular cadence, we'll have a weekend kind of recap preview episode that comes out Monday mornings. And then as always, our, our Thursday night episode that we record that comes out on Friday mornings. So and one other, okay. So this is just kind of administrative things, but it's, it's going to take some action from you. Might, I think most of you will actually like the change in early August. There's going to be several new podcasts debuting here at action network. We'll have an NBA betting podcast, one for golf, one for fantasy football, with Raybon and, and Kerner. And we'll also have one just dedicated for college football and basketball betting. So if you like to listen to us, all you have to do is just subscribe to that. We're basically just going to have separate channels. And then that way, you know, if you don't like golf betting or fantasy, like just all your college football and college basketball episodes are going to be on that channel. You know, we'll have an NFL one. So if you want to hear the two of us talking college football this season, essentially you'll just need to subscribe to a new podcast. We'll have all the details when that happens. It'll happen sometime in August. Uh, and then please, we'll, we'll get you guys incentives to, to subscribe and, and leave reviews and all that jazz. Uh, so the best, but the best part is we have our own podcast channel now. We'll be able to release way more college pods every week and just do additional content. And uh, a lot of you have been asking about it for a while. So stay tuned, the generation get gone. A college-specific channel for our podcast is going to be fantastic. It's going to be continue to be you and me doing our weekly previews, continue to be our weekend recap. There's going to be maybe some stuff that I'll go out there and just start rambling for 30 minutes. Maybe stuff comes and rambles with me for 30 minutes. As much as we can shove into the college feed, we're going to do. And when the time is ready, we'll tell everybody to switch over. And by looking at your list of win totals and judging by the reaction that we get to our podcast, I think we actually could have a Sunbelt preview because of how much we love to talk about Coastal and Louisiana. So I'll save that because I can't wait to hear our, our, our Billy Napier content for this podcast ought to be pretty good. Yep. Uh, Colin did also catch up with Stuart Mandel, talked some media days, the OU Texas rumors, college football playoff stuff. We'll get to that at the end. We're going to just quickly go through kind of high level lay of the land, what we're looking at. We'll go through quickly all the conferences. We don't want to go too in depth because we're going to have, like we said, separate 
episodes going into detail uh, of all of the teams within each respective conference. But we'll go through them, and then we'll at the end we'll share our some of our favorite win totals, some of our favorite futures, and uh, we'll get an initial subject to change college football playoff prediction or four uh, semifinalists. So before we get into that, we have to. I just have to ask you. How was your summer? Is there any story you wanted to share? I know you did get married. Congrats on that. So uh, just catch on everyone up on how your your summer went. I know, look, the good news and the bad news, just from what I've seen from afar, you got married and I've met Mandy. She's great. Congrats. I'm, I'm happy for you that that happened because you had to get over that, that disappointment of uh, Arkansas in the uh, College World Series. So, <laughs> Woo, pig suey. How was the summer? <laughs> It's uh, it's absolutely brutal to have hotels scheduled for Omaha, uh, to have box luxury tickets to Supers against NC State, and then to get bounced like that. So that was definitely a downer for the summer. But I am not, you know, holding back on Arkansas futures. We have signed the best recruiting class for baseball. Dayton Morse kid is coming back. Robert Moore will be back next year. We find some pitching. We'll be back in Omaha, no problem. And then, yeah, the good news is, is, I got married and, uh, you know, it's been a, a an 11 year gap for me. And it was actually, uh, you know, for anything, you know, share too much personal information, but it was actually a very fun 11 year gap and in, in, uh, in, of a bachelor uh, and going everywhere in the world and seeing everything and doing the thing I want. And I think this time around got it right. And uh, I think it's important to uh, stop every once in a while, spend a little bit extra money on things that are important to you and make experiences more important than materialistic stuff. But I couldn't be happier uh, and completely re-energized, ready for this college football season with the perfect support around me in my personal life to get it done. Very well said. I had a, I just had a, I just got back from Las Vegas. I'll talk about some of the futures. Going blackjack the show. Yeah, we, we can do- talk with some table games. So, like my favorite, my favorite table game story is when I was, I don't even know, nineteen twenty, and I went with a bunch of my high school friends down to Atlantic City, the Tropicana. And I was, you know, I just took out a couple hundred to play some roulette before we went out. Fast forward 13 hours, we were still playing. Um, I got down to my last 100 at one point. We were just literally just going to play, sit on the table, have fun, and then go out. 13 hours later, you know, up a couple grand. I remember hugging this one dealer. And we were just playing the outside, like just just ran extremely well, timing our bets really well. Oh, luck. And then as I'm about to walk away, I threw, you know, a couple hundred on black 20. 20 is my favorite number. And then that hit and uh, 35 to one. Um, and then I remember I just had all this cash and went, to, I went, went away the next day with my family and my girlfriend at the time. My other friend who was with me, he ended up staying another two days and blew it all the next day. So I was happy I left. But this past trip, I, I checked out Circa Cabana, which it was so cool just for baseball and cloudy weather at Circa Swim. Um, that's worth checking out if you, you know, it's like a cabana that I can go to. I mean, I, I, I'm not in my twenties anymore when I go to like Encore beach club I and mean, I could, but it's just not my, <laughs> not my scene anymore during the day. So that was really cool. Uh, it was cool to go out there with the wife. I've never been, uh, I usually go solo. We went to Westgate obviously for the NBA finals. You know, we had a real, we went to Mateo's for lunch. That's great. We went to Eiffel tower for dinner. Just had a really good, really good trip. But area 15 was just like crazy mall with all the stuff that we played virtual golf inside. So it was just a really cool trip. And then at the very end, like uh, midnight on our last day, we went out, we went down to uh, the Venetian and we were just playing roulette and, and blackjack. And I had, my wife had like a little bit, a little bit to drink, you could say a little bit, a lot of it. So she was playing. I, at first I was just like, look, you can play. I'm just going to sit. I'll watch you. I'll try to help you. But she's stubborn and she's very smart, but she had a little bit too much drink, just playing reckless. Luckily it was just her and I at the table with this dealer, but she was like splitting sevens with the dealer showing an ace and oh boy. Um, just, <laughs> but anyway, so I just could tell over time that this dealer and I, this has happened before. Like I, you know, so then I was like, she convinced me to, to buy in. So I buy in and you know, this dealer, she was very patient older woman. And I just kept, t- I just would tip her like $5 every like a couple hands, just like she's being nice. We were just throw, throwing away some, some gambling. But I could tell whenever she was like checking for blackjack and then my, my wife was like, Hmm, should I split these? Should I double down? She was just like giving me sign, giving me uh head signals basically about what she has. If it wasn't blackjack. Right. Like, so she, obviously she has like a 20, she would be like, no, or yes. So I bought it. And this, and she starts giving me had hand signal like she keeps, she's giving me like nods or after she's checking for blackjack on what to and she's like yeah okay or don't do this don't double down and then 
what could have been because then six straight hands she ends up with not blackjack 21 and three of them i had an 11 to start and i doubled down and then she she left it was the end of her shift so i went bust and oh quick and like six hands and i was like oh my god what could have been so it was fun so what uh so i wanted to get your give a favorite vegas uh table game or uh, (laughs) casino story I think you made this really hard on me because considering like there's so many stories that I have, like playing in the high roller room blackjack with Ray Lewis, uh, a couple of the guys you and I run around with, uh, particularly our, our friend Cheetah, uh, he likes to put money down on a table to pay for dinner. He's like, well, if we just win one hand of blackjack, we can pay for dinner. And that's led to some pretty big caches. But I think my favorite story of all that I have from blackjack uh, that I've played in Vegas is my closest friend and I, we hang at Cosmo a lot. And the reason we hang at Cosmo a lot is because there's a fortune cup that looks at the book. A fortune cup basically in the sports book. And if you're not familiar with fortune cup, it's horses. It's little plastic horses going around. You bet your dollars on them. And that's great. I can watch my sports. I've got my bet. And my friend Hayden is holding. We've combined together to have an Oregon State basketball ticket and it's close to a dime. He's stressing and he's pacing and I'm chewing my nails. We're playing fortune cup. And Oregon State covers the spread. And holy shit, yeah, we can have a nice dinner. Let's go have a steak. Let's go pick our restaurant and go get something good to eat. And he's going through his pockets and he's looking around. I said, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I can't find the ticket. And I'm like, well, I know you troll me all the time, but really, where's the ticket? He's like, I can't find the ticket. I don't know where it's at. He's searching through cushions. He's asking the bartender at the Cosmo Sportsbook, you know, did I leave my ticket here? He's asking the pit and the blackjack, where's my ticket? I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Who, we've been doing this for a decade, how do you lose a ticket, a betting ticket? How how does this happen? And he's like, I don't know. And he he starts getting really upset, really depressed. And then he throws a handful of hundreds at me. And he says, here, sorry, this is all my fault. They won, you gave me the money. I was holding the ticket, I lost it. I said, this is bullshit. I said, we're in this together. Turned around, walked right over to the blackjack table, threw all those hundreds on the table. I said, I want one hand of blackjack. And he's like, what are you doing? Don't do this, what are you doing? I'm like, this is nothing. I said, put it on, let's go right now. She bowls it out. It's just an empty table. There's no one else sitting there. I didn't disrupt anything. The shoe obviously killed some people. She rolls out a jack and I turn and look at her and I said, see, we're already in good shape. And then she turns around, she deals herself a six. And then what do we get? Boom, an ace. Blackjack, wow. baby, paying me two to one. And this guy, he's just sitting there like shaking his head. I can't believe what's going on. I raked up all the cash off the table, shoved it in his pocket. And I said, that's what you get for losing your fucking Beavers ticket. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> So, you know, he was pretty depressed, but it turned around fast. That's amazing. Yeah, I it's another reason to, to use the apps out there. But I always like yeah. having a physical ticket. It's one of the reasons, you know, you only do that when you're out there. Uh, so that's a good transition into obviously last year was a very unique season. And it, it was, you know, speaking of a grind, that was the biggest grind of a college football year for me. And we might have to do some of it again, but just trying to figure out who's out each week, you know, and then you all of a sudden, it don't really, it's not like, you know, NFL injury reports. These are things that on game day. You find out this team has 14 players out. Speaking of sample sizes, you know, have small sample sizes. I mean, you have teams that have played one game versus teams that have played five or six. So just a lot of weirdness, obviously, last year. College football is getting weird. That's going to translate into this year, right? How much do you take into account what happened for some teams last year than others, right? So you have year two coaches, right? So for new schemes and, you know, you didn't really have spring practices and it was, you know, a shortened season. Are they going to benefit the most from, you know, a now a normal spring and presumably a more normal fall, you know, that you have also have teams that didn't, that, you know, only played a couple games. Yeah. Some teams in the match, like they had three games, two of them were against Bowling Green and Akron. It's like, all right, what, what do I do with this? You have teams that didn't even play last year. That's going to be a fascinating aspect of the early early on in the season to me, but old dominion, what do I do with old dominion and and Connecticut? Like I could make the case that maybe they benefited from not playing, but there's no game. Actually. I don't know. They just, all right, let's take a whole season and work on stuff. There were two teams that obviously weren't in a good spot or like, is it just a complete mess? I don't know that we don't have a lot of uh, a big sample size of this happening to go off of. And then obviously the virus still could be lingering and uh, keep that in mind for win total. So you, know, you have super seniors, you have all these transfers that are going to become eligible. So again, it's a, a really unique year to just uh, take one or two of those and uh, tell me about how you're how you're thinking about all that. 
Yeah, I think we that we take 20. I mean, when you look at Old Dominion, that's a head coaching change and that's a change in scheme on both sides of the ball from 2019. So what do we get out of that team? It's it's impossible to predict and you can't put it in a spreadsheet and crunch a number uh, and come out with it. It's just literally from an investment standpoint, if you value what's in your wallet, uh, then you're going to data equals how much you should bet, right? The more data, the more snaps you see the more you can make a judgment on a team. So Old Dominion is a team I'm just not going to touch. New Mexico State's a different story. You can't beat Dixie State and Tarleton in the spring, then I'm probably going to be fading fading you. UTEP, on the other hand, I really like what I saw last year. Three wins. I know there's there's some second-order win totals saying you shouldn't have won three games. I don't care. I actually kind of like UTEP this year. I even got a helmet for them in my background picks up. Uh, but, you know, it, and, you know, you're questioning me on Twitter today about UMass and it's the whole thing where it's like, I don't know where Maine football is, right? All I can do is take Sagarin or take some FCS articles and try to adjust Rhode Island and Maine and, and hopefully see who's a favorite here. But how do I gauge what UMass is off of a one game that they scheduled and flew down to Georgia? And so it, last year's tough. And as we quote, and this is going to happen with all of our previews, as I quote, success rate, explosiveness, finishing drives, havoc. Take it with a grain of salt that 2020 was filled with COVID. There were Charlotte's offensive line, I don't think ever played healthy. Wisconsin's offensive line never played healthy. We're going to get into it with Graham Mertz. I, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of players were not playing healthy. And Boise was playing linemen on both sides of the ball in the same game. So wacky year. Don't trust the stats as much as I do previous years coming in. Yeah, for sure. Have to discount what happened last year. I mean, for example, take Kent State football. And now we love their offense and and crumb is a legit you know nfl prospect uh he might be i, I mean i assume that he's gonna get drafted somewhere last year they played akron bowling green emu and buffalo that's it two of your four games are against two of the worst teams in the country their offense is good they play really fast but they led the country in scoring and yards and um like but yeah it, when you when two of your four games are against akron and bowling green and you're putting up 70 points against them. Um, it's going to excuse. That's just one example. But yeah, you have to right. take everything that happened with a grain of salt and, and adjust it. And there has to be some some nuance. And you can't just be completely objective. You have to be subjective and understand what happened at some of these teams. And that's what I've spent a lot of the time doing this year. And one of the things that you'll quote is you're speaking of like the you have, we have super seniors, which we'll talk about. So some teams you're going to have more than any other year. You have you know, your returning production is going to be sky high across the board because you can, you know, last year didn't count for eligibility. And you also have transfers, which can become immediately eligible. So one of the things you talk about and we'll talk about is, is TARP, which is adjusting for that. Yeah, TARP is something new. I, everybody knows what returning production is, but TARP, uh, the TA in it stands for transfer activity. And really the transfer portal has become such a huge funnel of disgruntled players uh, Nikosi Perry in, out, in, out. I mean, it's just so much uh, going in and out of the transfer portal, especially when you look at like, say, Tennessee, it can get confusing and get dizzy. So TARP, what we do is we take the production, the returning production is its own thing. We have its own calculations. Everybody knows what that is. But from a transfer activity perspective, you have to adjust run pass ratios from the stats that you put up into the team that you're coming into. If you're at a if you're a Washington State quarterback and you go to a primarily running the ball Rice as a transfer, you just can't take those stats and apply it and say, well, this is how much returning production we have coming back. It's really a little incorrect. So you know cases with McKenzie Milton and some of the other quarterbacks we'll talk about. You know Tyler Show leaving Oregon going down to Texas Tech. You know how do we adjust the run pass ratio? So really, what it does is it's a formula that says, okay, well you're transferring from here. But your stats don't mean as much because you won't be throwing this much. So that's just a, a you know example of what tarp really means. Yep. Uh, all right. So let's get into the high level, and we'll cover all that as we go through all these teams and conferences and and clarify some more. But it's high level of the land. It this is not going to come to much as a surprise. There's three teams that really have dominated the college football playoff landscape. That's Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. They are responsible for 16 of the 28 college football playoff spots and six of the seven national titles and i'm gonna tell you what if i had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not it was about 50 percent why did you push yourself you know pam is what plus 250 to win it all clemson's around four to one ohio state's around five six to one those are your three favorites as you know even the most casual fan could have predicted 
you know, then you have Georgia and Oklahoma, which is kind of that next tier. And, you know, wouldn't shock me if at the end of the year, that's the argument. All right, who gets that fourth spot in the future? We won't have to worry about that with the expanded playoff. But for this year, there's only four. And then there's a big drop off. And then you're, you're talking about teams that are 30, 40 to one. But, you know, when I look at Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, and, and Saban, what do you, has six national titles at Alabama and one at LSU. He's only repeated once. And that was back in 2011-12 when the continuity and, there were, you know, there was a lot more continuity on that team than there was this year. We were sellers of Bama a couple of years ago with all of the, you know, all of the personnel losses, the, continu- the lack of continuity from a coordinator perspective. And you have some of that again this year. And do you buy – Bryce Young, look, their defense is going to be loaded, but and they're going to reload everywhere no matter what, but they lost a lot of talent at wide receiver over the past two years and a generational player like Devontae Smith. So, you know, this isn't Bama of last year going into it. We said last year, Bama revenge towards stay away. I didn't I didn't have any national title futures. Didn't touch. I, this, I was Bama's year. I'm okay f- finding ways to fade them this year, which we'll get into. Clemson has questions. I have questions about Clemson, mainly, look, you know, their defense should be really good. They have the coordinator continuity, the poster child for that. But one of my things with Clemson, quarterback depth. They have none right now. So if Ugalele gets hurt, their primary backup in the spring tore his Achilles. Their third string got drafted and just signed with the Pirates. So he's not coming back. So I think Hunter Helms, a walk-on, is the backup. If Ugalele gets hurt, it isn't like Trevor Lawrence gets hurt and you have, the, you know, a five-star coming in. Their quarterback depth is... Is, is worrisome to me. Um, they didn't get anyone else in the transfer portal. So I think Clemson, look, they're heavy, heavy favorites when the ACC, I think they're minus 900. But as far as like, here's a, a lock to win the national title. Do I think that they're, you know, could be vulnerable? If Ugalele goes down, yes. Ohio State, another hand, they don't have a quarterback who's thrown a pass at, at this level. So, you know, there's it, it, Stroud's going to be up there in the Heisman uh, boards. You know, they're obviously going to be really good, but it's they have questions too. So potential opportunities in the futures market, whether you want to bet a team to go to the comfortable playoff, national title, we'll get into all that. But I think that this isn't like last year where we were just saying, Bama, Bama, Bama. What are your thoughts on just the those top three and where who might be vulnerable? Well, it's sad from a perspective that when you and I started this podcast, we made fun of the NBA all the time because it was too predictable because we knew exactly who was going to be in finals for nine months of the year. And now, sadly enough, the NBA has got the Suns and the Bucks, and we are staring at potentially just only six teams that can win the national title. It's like we've done a college football has done a complete flip with the NBA as, as far as predictability. I think, you know, to comment on the top three teams, the ones that we know that are always there, the price on Clemson right now is just outrageously overpriced. It's the book's way of saying we don't want any risk in this cupcake conference. The defense might be the best in the nation returning over 90% to a unit that was seventh in success rate and second in havoc. But it's important to know week to week if offenses are going to go to the sugar huddle, a la Ohio State, which means we don't break the huddle. We don't tip off our hand, what our formation is and what our play is going to be. There's been games, Pitt, there's been teams in the conference, North Carolina, that have beaten Clemson during regular season play. Sugar huddling has been a part of it. And if Brent, Brent Venables is not stealing signs, then, hey, you're going to get output like last year. Boston College got 28 points on the board against this defense. October 2nd is a huge day for Clemson. I agree with you about the, the depth of quarterback behind DJ. It's the same reason. I've had, I've had people all over me like, why haven't you taken Arkansas over five and a half? If KJ Jefferson gets hurt, there's nobody. There's nobody, right? So it's the same thing with Clemson. I, I can't put an over ticket or buy into futures where there's no depth. And that, you know, we come to Ohio State. This is the, They're the class of the Big, of the big Ten. Uh, conference division futures, when they first appeared, I was all over them saying this is just – this is way too low for a team. You know, when Justin Fields came in to have spring ball, I think he went like four of 13, and we said, oh, Justin Fields can't do it. Uh, a little bit different with C.J. Stroud. He has a magnificent uh, spring game. He has the best receiving core in the nation led by Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. There isn't a defensive trench in the conference that can challenge these offensive players – I'm sorry, the offensive line – Thayer Munford, Harry Miller, Rasheed Wallace. We're talking about guys that are ready to be drafted in the NFL on the offensive line. There really aren't many secondaries that can contain their passing game. I think Indiana got way too hot and way too overrated last year. Uh, you know, Indiana is like the worst secondary outside of Rutgers. So I don't know who's challenging Ohio State. Penn State has an unbelievably tough 
schedule. I don't like what's going on with Kirk Soraka getting, you know, basically abandoned as offensive coordinator because Mike Yursich was on the market. Uh, going back to Ohio State, they're moving to a new scheme, the bullet position, uh, a 4 and they want a floater to act like Rokon Smith of Georgia a few years ago and Isaiah Simmons of Clemson. You need a player that can play in the secondary line up in the linebackers or put a hand down on the line and play on the defensive line as an edge. And Ohio state needs that player. Why? Because everybody's gone RPO versus play action and RPOs ran by quarterbacks that are heavily talented in space can only be stopped by Isaiah Simmons and Roquan Smith's Ohio state hasn't identified that player, but at least they've been flirting with a four, two, five and they're moving that way. So I do still kind of like them. And, and I keep hearing about Jack Sawyer, NFL ready, true freshman, this defense is loaded with success rate and havoc. Ohio State's going to be there in the end. Alabama, you're right. It's time. If you get a fade him, this is the year. And, you know, you do a lot of the, our, our NFL content stuck. And I, and I just got to say, Bill O'Brien coming in, I don't think is as big of a negative as people think. Because Bill O'Brien ran the offense, called the plays for the Houston Texans, and they were the heaviest usage of 12 in the entire league. They love two tight end sets. And now he's coming into an Alabama program where Sark like really pushed up the two tight end sets for Alabama. And I know that they've got, you know, a new quarterback, new coordinator. Uh, They've lost a ton on the offensive line, but this is still a defensive back seven that returns Christian Harris, Will Anderson, Josh Job. I think the week one line against Miami is extremely high. I think that should be more like minus, you know, not, not near as high as it is, but there is potential that Deere King doesn't play in that game, which is why I haven't touched it. But you're right. This is the spot to, if you're going to fade Alabama, this is year. The win total is too high. Everything's too high. But you know what? I think last year may have been the greatest college football team we've ever seen. I mean, won and covered almost. Who plays 10 SEC games and wins and covers everything? So, yeah, I, I agree with you on those three teams. I, I think out of the bunch, I like Ohio State the most. I, I'm not worried at all about the switch to quarterback to C.J. Stroud. I'm not worried about the 4-2-5. But also, I think the entire division and their schedule lines up nice for them to be firing on all cylinders by the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still do have some questions about the Ohio state back seven. So, mm-hmm. and, but that the, you know, you can get through the big 10 with questions there, right? Uh, yeah. who's, who's really going to shred you in the big 10 from a passing game perspective. You don't really have to worry about it then, but when you get to the college playoff, you're presumably going to be facing an elite passing attack. We saw the secondary struggle last year. Look, Sean Wade went to the NFL. He was, he won, I think he was a first team All American, which he shouldn't have been. The Ravens drafted him. He was out of position. He should have been playing the slot. He had a bad year. I don't think it's that big of a loss from where he was playing. But the secondary didn't play great. And they lost all three starting linebackers. So I want to see what Kerry Coombs can do with this because they, look, Jeff Halfley came in and fixed the defense for a year yep. and they were great. And then he left for BC. I think that's going to pay dividends for BC and they're headed in the right direction. That's where I would worry about Ohio State. Uh, I still think they get to the college football playoff. We'll get to our predictions later. I've just spoiled one of mine, but that's no surprise. Um, But I have questions if they get there. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. But let's start. Well, before we get into we'll just run through each conference real quick. Trivia time. Top five. We'll do top and bottom. See if you can get one of them. One of the five top against the spread teams over the past five years. UAB. 
UAB is number six. Well, come on. Um, so I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you for getting sick. They're like percentage points behind Utah. Buffalo, Eastern Michigan, Wyoming, and LSU are the top five. LSU really benefited from that one year where they covered almost every game. And then there's Iowa State, Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Temple, some of the podcast favorite teams, which was good to see. And yeah. uh, Clemson. Bottom five. This one sh- should be easier. Can you name one of the bottom five? Can we go with UMass? <laughs> UMass didn't – UMass – I should have clarified. UMass didn't qualify for games. Okay. So, not excluding UMass and UConn. Does, excluding UMass and UConn, you're taking it away yeah. from me. I, I almost I almost wanted to go with UTEP. They seem to be our, our darlings that we picked on for so many years. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. I could make a case for Rice in the transition. I will go with – Kansas. <laughs> I will absolutely go with Kansas. In, incorrect. Kansas is sixth, too. Um, oh, so my God. Both sixth. But you're, I'll give you credit, too, because UTEP is correct. UTEP was in the top five. The worst is Akron, by the way. So my Akron boys, which is uh, who have tortured me, they're, they're 30% against the spread over the last five years. Arizona is in the, in the bottom five. Bowling Green and Tennessee, which is tortured us a couple of times uh, and when they should have covered and didn't, and then just also getting blown out, but they're your bottom possibly, five. Possibly the worst second half team in the history of sports gambling. Man, I, <laughs> I hate them. All right, well, let's get in. We'll just quickly run through before we get to our, some of our favorite win totals and futures. Here, it just means more. SEC, when you look at it, look, we talked about Bama. We think they're maybe vulnerable. They're minus 170 to win the SEC. Georgia's second at plus 225. This is a conference that has... You know, six, there's six teams with new offensive and defensive coordinators. There's four new head coaches. Do we see some drop-off with Bama? Do you have questions about Bryce Young? I don't know. We've just went over this. We think that they could be a little more vulnerable than, you know, your normal Alabama-dominant team. Still clearly the favorite. I don't think Georgia could be stopped in the East. Uh, Florida, with all of their talent that they've lost on offense, I, I think Georgia is getting to the SEC championship game. And, you know, who can challenge Alabama? maybe Texas A&M look this is it's going to come down to their quarterback you know Ken is King or Calzada I don't think that they've that that competition is over yet Kellen Mond in some ways look he was drafted he was great for four years held Texas A&M back in some aspects right he was great at home just kind of limited in what they would do downfield so I if look if one of these very talented quarterbacks can step up and also they had a lot of offensive line losses but this is Jimbo's fourth year it's when he won a national title at Florida State, all of his recruits are here. The defense should be loaded. The, you know, they're obviously with Spiller and company, they can run the ball. They have, you know, all their weapons on the outside are going to be healthy. They have great tight end. So if the quarterback works out, they host Alabama. And they have a couple games that they can kind of, you know, get their quarterback, whoever wins that job, into the flow. So they're an interesting team with upside. You know, if you know, you, you're, you're asking a lot of whoever's coming in to start a quarterback, but maybe they can pick off Bama, you know, in college station, uh, you know, I, I, it's not crazy for me if you wanted to say that. Hey, don't just be a f- support. Just keep fighting with us. We ain't quitting on you. Please don't quit on us. So, but I think that really it's, again, your, your top teams in the SEC. It doesn't really go much further than that to me. What is kind of your, your take of the SEC overall? Yeah, you look for a challenger to Alabama. Certainly, I, I don't think the Hogs are ready. <laughs> They're not at that point yet. They don't have the depth, and they definitely don't have the statistics. Who does have the statistics? In the West, Texas A&M does. My win total is at 9.2. The bet MGM number is 9.5, so there's really no play there. There's plenty of turnover on the offensive side of the ball, from Kellen Mond to the trench. The pro-style offense was top 15 in success rate and in havoc allowed. But the question is at quarterback, like you said, Haynes King, he can be the explosive quarterback. Zach Calzada, he can be the play-action heavy offense. with the, He's got the arm to do it all and do explosive plays to DeMond Demas and Nia Smith or probably what is now the new best tight end in all the SEC and Jalen Widmire. So, you know, if Texas A&M can get a bump in expected points along with maintaining their already high success rate, then they are a challenger to Alabama. But we need to revisit this, say, mid-August and see what's going on with the quarterback battle, uh, some of the reports coming out of there, because I have to see explosiveness. I need to see playmakers on the outside. Uh, Georgia, 
you and I have always joked about this. If we could take the Georgia defense and put it with the Oklahoma offense, we'd have a national championship, right? So Georgia is still the most talented defense in the nation outside of maybe Clemson. Transfers, Darian Kendrick comes in from Clemson. Huge at corner. Huge corner, which is a point I'm going to get to about the SEC. You are not going to win this league unless you have corners and edge rushers. The growth of Nolan Smith is needed. Uh, they had a top 30 rank in defensive finishing drives. But listen, everybody knows the defense is always going to be good. It's the offensive side of the ball where the changes are being made by offensive coordinator Todd Munkin with JT Daniels in the fold. The Bulldogs are now going to start passing in standard downs. They were just too predictable. They always ran in standard downs. Uh, it was you know very predictable by a lot of defenses. It could load up in the box in standard downs back off and passing downs. And so now Georgia has, can pass on first down to explosive targets that they have. Even without Pickens there, they still have explosive wide receivers. So you're going to hear about LSU transfer Arie Gilbert, probably the best tight end in college football. Kiaris Jackson, a wide receiver, has talent to burn secondaries. Uh, and you're going to have to have a secondary in the SEC. So I think Georgia is absolutely loaded. Florida is not even close. And the, like I said, the conference is loaded with edge rushers and shutdown corners that are NFL ready. Who's one of those teams? LSU has Stingley and Ricks playing corner. Uh, those are two of the best in the nation, not in the SEC and not in the West, in the nation. So the addition of Mike Jones Jr. from Clemson is a big bump in pass defense. I think people should realize that. Linebacker Mike Jones Jr. was one of the best coverage linebackers in the nation. So that makes LSU's pass defense extremely good. Uh, I still have some questions. I think you know we'll try to talk to some of our uh, buddies in the SEC when we have our SEC preview. Uh, but you're going to have to have shutdown corners. Smoke Monday, Roger McCreary. They're in the defensive backfield for Brian Harson at Auburn uh, for a defense that's going to, you know, everything's going to have to start rebuilding under him. These are players that you have to have. Traylon Burks from Arkansas, Kayshawn Booty from LSU. These are offensive players that will tear you apart if you don't have the secondary or the edge rushers. So from an SEC perspective, I'll let you, I'll let you take the reins on Georgia here sometime during the podcast, but Alabama, if you're going to fade them, this is a year. Texas A&M, I will reserve judgment until we see what plays out with this quarterback battle. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you brought up Todd Munkin. This is his second year. You know, we talked about, you know, last year I was difficult to implement a new scheme, and this is a 180 for Georgia. Not only that, they were planning for JT Newman to be the quarterback, right? That's a whole different skill set them where they ended up at the end of the year with JT Daniels. Right. And then they had who, who's still their back Stetson Bennett. He's still, he's still there, but they had Stetson Bennett. And, and then at the end, I mean, just to illustrate how much of a different, they now have a national title offense. They threw under Kirby smart five in the five seasons before last year, they had four 300 yard passing games in five years. JT Daniels did it twice in four games. So um, yeah, I think that they're yeah, – look, they lost Pickens. I still think they have enough talent on the outside. Some question about the offensive line, but I think it's this from a scheme perspective, they have their quarterback. Pickens could even be back for the college football playoff. Um, and, you know, the, there was questions at corner. They, I mean, their top four corners, their top four defensive backs either were drafted or transferred. Bringing in an all-ACC corner from Clemson is just huge. Um, it's It's just – it, it, it shores up so much. And they can just get one, you know, Ringo or a young corner to step up on the other side. Boom. Defense is top one or two uh, in the country. I think that the way to play Georgia, and, and I, I'll just get into I'm spoiling one of my futures, is to, if you get an eight to one, one of the futures that I bet in Vegas, I love it because I think that there's, or I don't see a market for this yet, get to the college football playoff. Yeah. Because I think that no matter what, they're going to win their division, but if they beat Clemson in the first game and they're going to be, what, what are they, a four, five point underdog? Um, they can easily win that game. They win that game. You have a win over Clemson to start the year. You can drop another one. You could even beat Clemson, lose a competitive game to Alabama and lose another one. It gives you a lot of leeway or they could lose to Clemson. They're still going to get to the SEC championship. You beat Bama there, you're in again. So I think there's a lot of ways that Georgia can get into the college football playoff. And then it's and instead of playing Texas A&M, like if you're going to play Texas A&M, I think there's two ways to do it. Because I, I agree, I don't see any value in the win total. You either play a 30 to 40 to one to win the national title, and you say, you know, this team, you, you're buying the quarterback upside. So if the quarterback works out, the team is loaded. And they can win the SEC, they could win it all. There's just a lot of uncertainty with a quarterback, kind of an important position. Or you do 
what I did is a lot, it's, you know, a lot less risky. Uh, I bet Alabama under 11 and a half, which is kind of correlated with Texas A&M because over, because if Texas A&M beats Alabama, they're going to go over and it's probably Alabama's toughest game on the year. But I can see, look, I think Alabama, the win total is 11 and a half. Uh, I, I'm closer to like 10, four. I think you're right there. 10, five. And I can see, I don't see this team going undefeated. Look, Florida's way down. Alabama has to go to the swamp. They have to go to Auburn at the end of the year. And then they go to Texas A&M. Um, I think they drop one of those three games. Most likely it's at Texas A&M. Uh, but that's how I kind of played the SEC as far as from, from the top. But yeah, I mean, Georgia now has a national championship caliber offense. Yeah, and I think the one task that you and I have, I mean, the Clemson-Georgia game in week one, it's something that I power rate around six. I've seen some other respectable power rankings make it around six. I think the number is floating between three and a half and five and a half. So we need to make a determination who we really think wins that game because a loser of that game is deserving of a national championship bet, right? If you, whoever loses yep. between. So if we think Georgia's going to win that game, then you're going to have to make you it. You buy them now. Yeah, you buy them now, and then you take Clemson after. So that, that, that'll be a big to-do for us before we get to week one. And, uh, you know, I think that's the only way to play. And you're right on the on the Alabama. I Projection is 10.4 on the win total. Uh, and, you know, if you don't know what that is, you have a certain percentage uh, that you're going to win for each individual game. You add all those up, and that came out to 10.4. Nowhere close to what their number is at 11.5. But what's the better bet, taking an under 11.5 minus 110 or – trying to go through their schedule week to week and guessing which one of the underdogs is going to catch them in a spot. Is it going to be Ole Miss who's lined at plus 270 one week? You know, I mean, that's what you have to do if you don't take the under 11. It's easier to take the under 11 half than it is try to predict which one of the teams in the West or on the schedule is going to beat them. Well, and then look, something we should bring up now, uh, you bet Alabama under 11 and a half. They have 12 games in their schedule. They go 11 and 0. They get a game canceled because of COVID. Because these games are being forfeited now. I don't know what the SEC is going to do if this would ever happen in the SEC with Alabama. They would, they might. <laughs> I can't, but you never know. This is just for other teams too. You check your book for those rules because they end up playing 11 games and you have over 11 and a half and they went 11 and 0. You're, you could be a loser. Uh, let's transition. We have mentioned Clemson, ACC. Clemson, look, going for their seventh straight college football playoff appearance, seventh straight ACC title, loaded on defense. We talked about it. Ugalele, he, is a phenomenal prospect, played last year, looked great at Notre Dame, a spectacular quarterback. It's, the question is their quarterback depth. We talked about their backup went down in the spring, and then Bubba Chandler signed with the Pirates. They have a walk-on behind him, but they're minus 900 to win the ACC. It's, you know, it's their division. Uh, on the other side, it's a little more interesting with who is going to take the Coastal because we've had seven different Coastal winners over the past seven years. That's amazing. Uh, which is insane. And obviously Notre Dame is no longer in the ACC. They had a one, one year stop. And that's pretty much going to be, you would think, between UNC and Miami. Miami has major revenge. They got embarrassed, but they are going to UNC this year. Um, you know, De'Ara King, is he healthy? UNC lost a ton of talent at the skill positions, right? They lost their top two backs to the NFL, their top two receivers. But Sam Howell's back. Defense should be better. Those are your two teams that are probably going to battle it out for the coastal. Um, by the way, I do have to say this Dabo kids are getting paid. You're still there. What happened? And now he's against the college football <laughs> playoff expansion. Come on, dude. Like he said, there's not 12 teams that are good enough to get it. Then beat them. Who gives a fuck? Beat them. Beat, beat Then play that extra game and win it. It's an, it'll, everyone will watch it. It's more exposure for your program. You already play an ACC schedule. What are you worried? What are you worried about playing another team that's what the fifteenth best team? Be better than any team you play in their whole schedule. Oh, cry me a river, Dabo. There you go. See there, great, great conversation. I'd like some time out. I'd like to take a nap. Y'all remember first grade? I love that. We should have adult timeout time. You know, let's just all bring a mat, take a nap, and be good. So, I never had a pacifier though, so I don't know how that'd work out. Uh, what do you see in the ACC? Your disgust for Dabo continues to rise year after year, and I cannot wait till it's like 2024 and he takes over the job at Alabama for uh, for for, for oh, no. Saban finally retires. But you know, I think in the ACC, it's like if Clemson does get injury to DJ and they're going to drop a game, it seems that Boston College is the hot name on the market in the Atlantic Division. Jeff Halfley's in year two with Phil Jerkovic, arguably one of the top four quarterbacks in the conference. Uh, there's no we Miami call that by the way. I'm a yeah. Phil Jerkovic buyer. 
Yeah, I, and and you know, I mean, boy, how how Brian Kelly let him go. I that's the whole reason why they separated with offensive coordinator back. We'll get to Notre Dame later, but no Miami or UNC on on the schedule for for Boston College. Uh, the defense has the defense is the problem. The defense is why I'm off their win total. This might be the worst defensive front seven unit in the conference. They carry over eighty percent returning from twenty twenty. The defense was 110th in success rate. That's a big indicator of winning against the spread. I just put out an article this week on what are the five factors of football? How do they apply to against the spread? So what I did over the last five years is I took against the spread records. I carved out what they did in success rate, explosiveness, havoc, and finishing drives. Turns out defensive success rate, biggest indicator to what your against the spread number is. So if Boston College is still sitting at 110th, I have a hard time taking them on their win total. And they're a hot name right now. So I don't think there's any market value. Not only was their defensive havoc 93rd, but the offensive havoc allowed was 70th. The offensive line needs to create a cleaner pocket and the defense has to stop the chains. If that happens, Boston college can have a magical season, but I'm not going to be betting into it. Florida state for me, complete wild card. 114th in defensive success rate. There isn't much floor left for this defense. McKenzie Milton, I mean, you want to talk wild cards. He hasn't played since 2018. Uh, but, you know, and the offense was outside the top 100 and havoc allowed. How is this offensive line that they've been trying to retool every year for the Seminoles? Is that going to be able to protect Milton, who's off a three-year injury? I do like Mike Norville as a coach. I do like him in year two. Uh, restructuring the Seminoles, but you have to keep Milton clean to make this team worth an investment. And it's funny so hearing De'Aaron King and, and Mackenzie Milton are both in a NIL uh, partnership right now. Uh, and so financially, I bet King wants Milton to stay healthy too. You're right about Coastal, Miami, Carolina. That's all it is. We don't need to even discuss the other teams. Uh, that's a big game. Miami comes off a bye to go play North Carolina. Uh, and, and, you know, UNC will be straight off the Florida State game. Can they replace Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Deami Brown, Daz Newsom? I think that there isn't going to be that big of a drop-off with Ty Chandler, Bo Corrales. There's some talent in freshman and skill positions. Recruiting's been going well for Mac Brown. Um, I, I like both these teams. But the buy point was Miami plus 170 to win the division. Uh, that number has dried up in a lot of places down to plus 130 because that's what the money line you're going to get when they go to play North Carolina. So if you see a Miami plus 135, 140 or better to win the Coastal, that's a play. Yeah, I mean, Deami Brown's his brother actually might even be faster than him uh, who's who's coming in there at wide receiver. Yeah, should, I, should see, we, I agree. Yeah. Should we mention – one last thing. Should we mention the Virginia Techs and be the first one to fire a coach? I mean, this this whole Justin Hamilton promotion from the secondary after Bud Foster retired is not going well. Outside the top 100 defensive finishing drives, this whole Virginia Tech mystique with the Metallica playing and all that shit. Like, I think Justin Fuentes is out fast. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, all of the, the transfers that keep that you keep hearing about there over the past few years, are, I just I think are indicative of what's going on behind the scenes with Vatek. Uh, Boston College, their, their win total, I think, is seven over seven juice, like one, minus 130, minus 140. If you want to make a case, and they haven't won eight games since 2009, if you want to make a case for them, look, it's Jerkovic, an offensive line that might be one of the best in the nation. They st- struggled at times. They were learning a new scheme, right? They were going to more zone running schemes at a new offensive coordinator. Uh, Signetti, who came in from the NFL. They lose Bailey, but I think they have quicker backs that will work better in that scheme. And all their receivers come back. We know about Jerkovic. Their defense wasn't great last year. And, look, they lose the Richardson and McDuffie at linebacker, which isn't great. They were two of the most productive linebackers. But it's year two of Halfley. So, and he's a secondary guy. I expect their secondary to continue to get better each year. It's their second year of that scheme. So how much of a bump can BC have, right? It's year one of a new scheme last year. And I thought that they did really well. And one of the things that I loved about BC last year is they missed – I think that they had – they lost zero games to COVID. And part of that might be luck, but like it shows me that the culture is changing there at Boston College. So, um, and they only have one unwinnable road game um, on their schedule. But you're, I mean, yeah, there's not a ton of value on the number, but Boston College is definitely an intriguing team from a betting perspective. Uh, and again, we'll have, we'll go way in deep on all these teams on the ACC episode. All right, before we get out of here, Colin caught up with Stuart Mandel earlier uh let's play that now all right everybody we welcome in editor-in-chief of college football of the athletics Stuart mandel longtime writer co-host of the audible podcast Stu, how much fun has it been over the past 36 hours with the news of texas and ou 
aiming to not renew their rights with the Big 12 and SEC having interest in taking them on. It's a it's an absolute gift from the college football content gods. I can tell you, having done this for so many years now, there is no topic that people are more obsessed about or crazy about than realignment to the point where we did a whole series on realignment in the summer of 2018. It's the most popular thing we've ever done. And there wasn't even any realignment happening. So to have it back in the news and to involve again, going down that Texas, Oklahoma, 2010, all over again, road is just remarkable. Yeah, there was some previous discussion of Texas and Oklahoma going to the Pac-12. Uh, I believe that they were going to, you know, think about two, bringing two other teams from the Big 12 along. But hypothetically, if Texas and Oklahoma make this move and Oklahoma State making a strong you know, statement that, you know, we're going to do everything in our right to keep our, our series with Oklahoma going, what happens to the Big 12, which is essentially the new Big 8 because it's down to eight teams? Does the AAC get bigger? Does Nebraska start thinking about bolting from the Big 10 once again? Well, first of all, I would say that I still remain very skeptical that that it would be that this would play out in such a smooth fashion that we would go from a report that Texas and Oklahoma are looking to join the SEC to Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. You know, so many things could happen between now and then um, now that the news is out. But yes, I mean, obviously the dilemma of the big 12 ever since it got down to 10 teams was always that, you know, I think the schools loved having a bigger slice of the pie and only dividing it 10 ways, but they were always in danger of this scenario that Oklahoma and Texas are propping the entire conference up. And without them, they basically become a group of five conference. And that may seem harsh to say about some pretty good football programs, right? Oklahoma State is a good football program. TCU, you know, Iowa State, what they're building right now. But realignment's not about on-field performance. It's about TV dollars. And those schools just are not that valuable to an ESPN or a Fox without those blue bloods being part of the package. So, you know, the, the short answer is it would be every man to himself. And with those eight stick together and try to bring other schools into the fold would the AAC try to say, Hey, don't, don't wait around for, for that. Come to us. I, I don't know. Would, would the PAC 12 have some interest in a couple of those schools, but you know, at the end of the day, that would not remain a quote unquote power five conference to me if it was those eight schools and no OU in Texas. Yeah. And the AAC has long been wanted to know is a power six conference. And, and legitimately, I think they have a team this year in Cincinnati that could contend for the college football playoff can go undefeated. Uh, I'll go ahead and get to that question right now. If Cincinnati goes through this schedule, wins the AAC undefeated, convincingly beats Notre Dame, are they in the college football playoff? I think it's hard to say for sure without knowing who would the other contenders be. Um, is it a year where every power five conference has a 12 and one champ? If so, that might be a harder thing. You know, you, you would, if you're Cincinnati, you would root for there to be some two loss champs in there. Um, but the other thing I would say is it's just, it's the double standard, but it is what it is. This, you get more respect after you've done it once the, the next year. I mean, UCF still didn't make the playoff, but they got more respect in the rankings the next year. But, and of course the key is UCF did not have a Notre Dame on its schedule in either of those seasons. So, and they, and Cincinnati, by the way, has two, I have Notre Dame and Indiana who yeah. are both, Top 10 teams last season. I don't know that they'll both be top 10 teams this season, but let's say one is, and let's say the other one is eight and four, you know, that's, that's, and we expect the AAC to have a couple ranked teams. That's a pretty good resume. Yeah. And the college football playoff committee, I, I know that we've switched names in and out of there. It, it seems like they've set a precedence where they took an, a one loss Alabama as an at large who went on to win the national title over a two loss Ohio state team and, you know, just kind of shut out the group of five. So I think you're right that it depends on how many two loss conference winners do we have in this current format that Cincinnati has to go up against. But definitely Notre Dame is a brand name that UCF never had uh, that could potentially get them there. Saban mentioned interesting one note from media days was that Saban mentioned that Bryce Young is approaching $1 million in NIL deals. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just crazy to me, but is there a team that can benefit the most? I mean, I know a lot of us are searching for how is this going to affect recruiting? Are you going to go start gravitating towards teams that aren't Alabama because of this? I thought it was interesting that he put that out there because it doesn't line up with anything we've heard. You know, I've talked to many people in the NIL space and, and the notion is like there will be there may be some athletes who make that kind of money, but it's going to be very, very few. They're going to be the absolute most marketable athletes. 
And given that Bryce Young hasn't st- really start, hasn't even started a game yet, like that doesn't quite line up. Could he get there if he has the kind of season we think he will? Absolutely. So I'm not sure what he was referring to exactly. But if let's just say that's let's take Mena's word, right? Let's say he's got eight hundred thousand dollars in NIL deals that that'll play out over the course of the season. Well, that would tell me that being the quarterback of Alabama, no matter who you are, is going to be a very profitable thing. And there's no question that you know I do think. The cool thing about NIL is that literally anybody can get in on it, right? The entire Arkansas offensive line has a <laughs> has an endorsement deal with a barbecue place. But being the quarterback of Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler has so many different deals now, uh, or mm-hmm. Alabama, Derek King at Miami. Yeah, I mean, there are certain guys that will benefit more than others, but that's America, right? Like, I don't buy the 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 notion some hold that, it'll, that this will lead to like locker room fractures because some guys will be treated differently than others. Guys are realistic. They know the second string offensive lineman knows that he doesn't have as much um, brand recognition as uh, Sam Howell. Right. I mean, it's just uh, when Kyler Murray was playing for the for OU the year he won the Heisman, he had four million dollars from the A's. Right. And he seemed to get along fine with his teammates. So I think that's a very outdated 1950s notion. Yeah, uh, destined for Las Vegas AAA until the Oakland was going to call him up. Kyler Murray yeah. uh, shunned the $4 million. It, it's interesting to see where this is going because the, I see players like McKenzie Milton and Derek King like partnering up in an NIL like deal together. So I, I, it's still – I can't make heads or tails out of if any team is going to benefit from this. All I know is is every time – I live in Oklahoma, so every time I walk into a Billy Sims barbecue, I'm expecting to see Spencer Rattler signing autographs for – a dollar amount. And every time I'm over in Arkansas, uh, there's some sweet tea being sold by some of our wide receivers. So it's, it's spread out all over the place. Has there been anything from the power five media days held so far that has caught your attention? I was going to ask about Michael Penix and his health. We don't really know. He takes the podium on Friday, but is there really any topic from the power five media days that's caught your attention so far? It's been hard to avoid the vaccination question there. Every coach is getting asked about it. And and, and understandably so. I mean, I know it becomes a very polit- can become a very political uh, issue for people. But in terms of just the college football implications, um, you know, the NFL came out and announced it that if your team can't field a, a team because of COVID, that game is a forfeit. Mm-hmm. Greg Sankey strongly, the SEC commissioner strongly indicated that's what they're going to the approach they're going to take. I think all of the conferences will eventually take that. And so now, choice of whether to get vaccinated or not has a ramification beyond just the health part of it the football part of it we you would think we would be past the the days of last season of having to worry about games getting canceled at the last second but we're not and the teams that that where the coach can come out and tell you um in on the day of preseason camp that they're at 90 percent vaccination um i'm gonna have a lot more faith in those teams to have a successful season than the ones that say yeah we, we got a long ways to go or you know brian harson just completely dodged the question at sec media days Nick Rolovich, the Washington State coach, came out and said he's not vaccinated, and he, so he can't go to Pac-12 media days. I mean, it's been it's been really eye-opening to see just the wide spectrum of responses. You know, there are some coaches who are coming out and very strongly saying, like, we got to get – these guys need to get it done, you know. We mm-hmm. need to make this happen. And then you've got guys who, like, this is – you can tell they're completely uncomfortable with the subject. Maybe they personally don't believe in it. I don't know. All I know is that there will be games affected by this. There will be teams that have outbreaks if not enough guys are vaccinated. And that's going to have a direct effect this year, unlike last year, on win-loss records. Yeah, and I think there's two points to make here. Uh, absolutely, I mean, again, in my backyard, the Delta variant is ripping through Arkansas right now, and we're a matter of weeks away from Arkansas hosting Texas, and you know, one of the big games from week two, and that could result in a forfeit. So if you're somebody that makes investments on some of these teams, I would get a little nervous about taking an over ticket when the book rules state that the team, if they have a forfeit, it's a loss, right? right? The game's not even played and the bookmaker is going to hold you accountable for that. So I would be a little nervous about taking overs on teams in general, maybe go lighter on how much I would spend because this is still a part of our lives, especially just from reading the local news in Arkansas. We're about a week or two away from hospitals being overrun again. So we'll see where we are as camp you know, fires up with Pittman. But you know, this is a thing in Louisiana and in Mississippi. So that's all SEC territory and forfeits now are the new rule instead of moving things or waiting for girlfriends at Temple, East Carolina to have a COVID test to see if we're actually going to play. I mean, I would look at, you know, see what the coach said at media days and you can pretty much tell, I mean, Alabama and Georgia, two programs that had almost no issues last year and obviously mm-hmm. were very good. 
are, their coaches are two of the coaches who came out and flat out said like, we're already at that 80, 85% and it's really important. And here's why. And so I suddenly, I, not that I didn't have faith in those two particular teams already, but they're set up for success. Washington state whose coach won't get it is not set up for success. They had a huge outbreak last season. It wouldn't surprise me if it happens again. So I think what Stu is telling us as gamblers that we shouldn't just be paying attention to success rate and explosiveness. We might need vaccination procedures for with our returning. I don't know that they're going to publicize it, but absolutely. (laughs) You're right. If we hear a team is above 80%, then maybe we feel better about taking an over on that team. And then we go back to the college football playoff. What happens if Cincinnati goes undefeated and then you've got a team that didn't complete their schedule and maybe they have two forfeits, right? So it, it, we're right back in. I feel like we're right back in the same boat. So with that being said, maybe the impossible question to end on is what is your prediction? Let's say in a perfect world, we don't have any forfeits or cancellations. What's your prediction for the four teams in the college football playoff? You know, it helps that there's like a list of six that I even think is possible, right? That's just the reality of the sport right now. I could think this could be a year where both Alabama and Georgia are there. Clemson for sure. And then I like OU uh, coming out of the big 12, although I don't, discount um, Iowa State by any means. Yeah, definitely some the Iowa State definitely has some good numbers to win the national championship. There are some numbers out there to make to make the college football playoff that are definitely worthy, but we got to get Iowa State through Iowa first. So we'll see if that uh, if we can get them to get a win against the Hawkeyes there in state. Stuart, thank you for joining me and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Stuart Mandel for taking time out of his day to join us. Good stuff there. Thanks as always to Colin for joining me. Great stuff all around. I'm excited. We'll be back next week, and then we're just going to keep them rolling uh, through week zero with all your Power 5 and Group of 5 previews. We appreciate you listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, leave a review, guess my birthday. You can. We'll send you merch, my age, I should say. Yeah, I look forward to hopefully a profitable season. We'll have a lot of fun. be a lot of voicemails and bad beats and miracle covers and all that good stuff. It's good to be back. Thanks again for listening. And we'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.